This is an ABC podcast. Hi, I'm Rebecca Huntley, and today on the History Listen, we're heading back to the Cold War, a tense period in history when Germany was literally divided in two, an Eastern communist side and a Western capitalist side, and a tightly guarded wall was built to keep the two apart. The people became known as the Aussies and the Wessies, but in 1989, the wall that separated the two halves came down and the sound of jubilation was broadcast around the world. The East German government said tonight they were going to make more openings in the wall, at least a dozen more, put bulldozers right through the wall so that more people could cross to the West. The fall of the wall was touted in the West as the triumph of democracy over communism. The Iron Curtain had fallen, the two Germanys became one, the GDR, or East Germany, no longer existed. But aside from the hype, what was it really like for young East Germans who'd never known another political or economic system? How did they suddenly adjust? Producer Annex C was curious, so she located three of these now older Aussies and went to hear their stories. Her first port of call is Christian Walter's workshop. He's a carpenter in Amsterdam. Meet Christian. I'm Christian Walter. I am uh, born in East Berlin in 1969. I live in Amsterdam now. I uh, am a carpenter. I've known Christian for a while, but not very well. I know his wife, Anne, who's American, better. But every time I visited her at their house, a cooperative in Amsterdam, Christian would mysteriously appear in the background, still clothed in his dusty journeyman's uniform late in the evening, pass through the room with an astute but funny comment about us, and leave again. When people ask me if I'm German, yes, I am German, but I'm not only German, I'm East German. I will be East German till the day I die, because that's what I'm born, and it's actually quite a big uh, part of my identity, of who I am. It's, it's, it's much more than being just German. Anne had told me that he rarely talked about his time in East Germany, but I'd always wondered what it was like there in the late 1980s when what most Westerners knew as the Iron Curtain fell. The uh, country that I came from, which doesn't exist anymore, had very different priority, life, culture, just extremely, uh, extremely different in many ways. So I asked Christian if he'd be willing to talk about that time and about being young, at the beginning of his adult life, really, when the wall came down. To both Anne's and my surprise, he said yes. But this wouldn't be a typical Western retelling of an East German story, he warned, about the Stasi, or suffering behind the Iron Curtain, both references that offend him. Oh, and his country was socialist, not communist. And by the way, the reunification, which he put in air quotes, had been the most violent period of his life. There were loads and loads of ideas uh, and misconceptions about uh, East Germans. Not only were they sad and deprived of any kind of freedom, either personal or... They were deprived of everything else. Our 
way of living, our style of living was different. Different, um, but not worse. Definitely not worse, no. And by the way, Christian said, these questions I was asking, they were questions that stemmed from Western ideals. We'd have to do something about that. My name is uh, Stefan Schröder. I'm born in Dresden, GDR, in 1966. And I grew up in Dresden. And uh, since 2001, I live in Oslo and work as an artist in Norway. My name is Suzanne Rittermann. I was born in Arnstadt. That's a small town nearby Weimar. That's in East Germany. I'm an artist. Um, I knew a couple of other East Germans around Christian's age, both of whom happened to be visual artists. And the more I spoke to them, the more I realized something. You shared some experience that no one else has. Only the East German uh, who lived at this time, they have the same experience. Listen to us, was the general message. Your Western interpretation of all this could use some adjustment. It's their story, so I'll let them take it from here. Growing up in uh, East Germany, you were in East Germany. You were, by uh, by order of the mighty people, you were a socialist and anti-fascist. You had no choice in that. was being decided for you, whatever you wanted or not. I grew up in a part of Germany where it was very hard to have access to the media, the Western TV and radio stations. So people spent a lot of effort to build huge antenna system together to get both radio and TV channels. It was, funny enough, not forbidden because it was really visible. Like when you have an antenna which is like five or ten meters above your, your roof, then it's really clear and it's directed towards Berlin. Then everybody knows what it's all about. <laughs> and my father was quite a famous engineer and he was really believing in socialism. I think he believed that all people are the same and that you have to do things together in a community. You work together and then the profit you also is for everyone. And I think he also believed that that's the better way of living than the capitalist version of it. Suzanne had an aunt who left East Germany in the 1960s, before the wall was built. Her aunt had married a farmer with a lot of land, but the government took it away to redistribute it. A lot of East Germans had relatives living in the West, and it was virtually impossible for East Germans to visit them. But, with a great deal of paperwork and explanation, it was possible for West Germans to visit the East. So I had, of course, this um, aunt and also a cousin who came um, over one or two times a year, and I bought some uh, colorful, fancy uh, things with them, like uh, coffee, chocolate, and soap. And I always told us how colorful everything was and how many things it uh, would uh, be in the West. And I was totally not interested in that. But this cousin of mine, he was really a nice, nice looking guy. 
And in a way you are really proud showing him around, but he was so alien looking like for the other kids that it was not working. They were more like fun, who is this guy? Because he was wearing this um, sunglasses. Nah, no kid uh, would wear sunglasses in East Germany. So everyone would notice fun, who is this freak with this sunglasses? And that was my invest cousin. But he showed us some uh, music. So, um, and we liked it a lot. Some of the, the music he was recording for us was really new for us, and we, some of the songs we liked a lot, and he had to play it for us over and over again. So, oh, play it again, play it again. was the music which I was interested in and trying to record all this like Beatles, Rolling Stones and all this music which we couldn't get so easily in GDR. The Roots and also later Bob Dylan and um, The Doors and this, this uh, music so I even traveled to Budapest to buy the records because this was the place to, to really get them while in GDR sell them You know, you had this really strong folk music movement in GDR and through these music artists expressed their ideas and feelings about living in, in GDR. It was not obvious, but everybody understood this is a system critic which came through culture, uh, also the, in the fine art. People actually freely could express uh, their um, opinions uh, through art and this was accepted. We were aware about the two political systems, of course. The situation about the, the wall and um, the Cold War situation and all this. Uh, but to be part of the Eastern system or uh, growing up in this country, this picture is kind of complex because uh, it's many layers, you could say, like the footprint of the system became stronger when it came to like headhunting us for the military service at school. Stefan says that the political system in East Germany made it clear that what individuals wanted was less important than what the system required as a whole. The political system kind of um, made uh, things more clear how it, it should be and not how you think it should be. You know, it was like you kind of felt the pressure to enter a system and, and fulfill the system kind of. This kind of mainstream identity was really clear to me and I think everybody and everybody behaved in a way that nobody wanted to make it hard for itself, you know. And that meant that more often than not, your profession was chosen for you. One day, I maybe was 15 years old, uh, I was asked to come to the director of the school, of the local school, and uh, there was two officers from the East German military service to ask us if we were willing to enter military service for 25 years 
and becoming an officer within this system. And so they tried hard to convince me that this was the best choice and with this decision made I could study anything. But I said no, and I was not interested. And then they said, okay, then uh, you might have a problem to, to choose your, uh, your profession. And if you want to go on uh, a high school, uh, then this might be a, a problem for you. Anybody who wanted to study had to go to do the army first before you study. And then you go three years and become an officer in the army. Once you have done that, only then you can start to study already with my big mouse in school I said you know what you and your guys your armies I don't want it you can shove it and I don't I don't need that and uh, that wasn't something that anybody in East Germany wanted to hear and they said all right that's fine with us you know who cares who cares about you you know you're not going to the army you're not going to university I said oh okay <laughs> didn't realize really that that was the consequence and then of course I had to figure something else out This was in the early 1980s, when the tension between the U.S. and the USSR was at its peak, and a nuclear war was a distinct threat. So, serving in the military was no joke. Stefan again. Yeah, I ended up uh, doing 18 months. I was kind of lucky ending up in a kind of nearby uh, um, caserne, and this place was to hide or store and mount together like large-scale rockets, ground-based rockets, which is used to take down planes from the sky, military planes. But despite international tensions, Stefan found himself with a lot of time on his hands. There was an upside. Because I, I, I did a lot of uh, drawings, self-portraits in this time as a soldier in the Eastern Army. In Berlin, the division between East and West was more concrete. Christian again. Of course, in Berlin, the wall was ever-present. In the street that I'm born, I mean, it's an ordinary street, two rows of houses on each side, and they're, what, 50 meters apart, and a two-lane street in the middle, and then there was chuck a wall in the middle. And that wall is, like, what, four meters high, and uh, that part of the street is just as far away as the moon. You don't even conceive or think of it that it's to be reached. It's just not, there's no need. Why would I want to go to the moon? It was never questioned that it wouldn't or shouldn't exist. It was just there. Later in, uh, in the late 80s, mid to late 80s, when I um, uh, started my apprenticeship as a carpenter, I uh, worked in that same neighborhood, almost exactly on that same street, and the house right on the edge of that uh, street not only was the last house on the block, but it actually overlooked the wall. So when you were actually working on the top floor, you could actually almost see directly behind the wall, which was very funny because you're really hanging out with your head over the wall, which is thing. And on the other side of the street, I remember, was the end of a bus stop, a bus line. And uh, people would just stand there and go to work. It was the most normal thing. But n even then, I still do remember that it was not conceived as one day 
being my bus stop. Nope, it just doesn't work. In East Germany, everyone received the same income, whether they were the director of a company, a teacher, or a cleaner. They were given a house and health insurance. Everything was taken care of by the state. And that worked, until the state became too powerful. Professionals began leaving for other socialist or communist countries, and there was a brain drain. But for the young Aussies, it didn't feel like the end of East Germany or its ideals. In the summer of 88, people were actually using the space of the retreating state to start building themselves. So whenever there was a, a vacuum, people would fill it. So from then on, we... Uh, when I say we, the young generation, we really thought that we can actually change, make use of that space and uh, change the uh, society into a better one until uh, November 1989. Zunächst nach Ostberlin. Hier waren die Menschenmassen erst durch die Innenstadt gezogen, um sich dann zu der rund dreistündigen Kundgebung auf dem Alexanderplatz zu versammeln. Zu der genehmigten Demonstration für Presse, Meinungs- und Versammlungsfreiheit hatten Künstler... It's a misconception to think that anybody knew that the wall is going to fall. It was where I come from, it's my country, it's my home. Why in heaven's hell would I think it should go or needed to go or whatever? No. We really thought we'd be able to change an existing less free uh, society into something that is workable and everybody can uh, exist happily, I don't know. I mean, I must have been to hundreds of demonstrations and actions and there was a desperate, dynamic, very, very positive energy within the uh, in the city. Everything is possible and that was felt by everyone. With repeated calls for change on the streets and the protesters growing ever more confident, time is running out for the government. It seems it's not just new faces that are called for, but a new political system. And if rapid change is not forthcoming, today's relatively calm protests could soon be seen as the calm before the storm. And then suddenly the wall was down and then suddenly the situation had changed much quicker than expected. You really could feel there is something extraordinary going on. You couldn't cross a border where you never would imagine that you ever could cross this border and you could see and enter a world what you thought you would never could enter. And there it was. The Traum is ours. The Traum is ours. So the wall comes down and everybody goes. So I do go to West Berlin and what do I do? I listen to them to a, uh, to a German band, a West Berlin band called Tonsteiner Scherben. Uh, and they have a couple of songs about certain places in Berlin. So I go and visit those places since, you know, that since I know them from the lyrics and I go there and there's nothing there. Obviously, I mean, I'm 15 years too late. 
from the Berlin Wall specifically. Take a look at them. They've been there since last night. They are here in the thousands. They are here in the tens of thousands. Occasionally they shout, Die Mauer muss weg, the wall must go. Thousands and thousands of West Germans come to make the point that the wall has suddenly become irrelevant. Something, as you can see, almost a party on. And remember Suzanne? What was her first experience of traveling to the West? Yeah, and you had to go to the um, office and you showed your passport and you get 100 um, mark. You just get money for being East German. That felt not right. Strange. Do they have so much money to give away? But then you realized you cannot do anything in this other um, Germany without the uh, uh, right money. So that was also strange. And you spend it like on crazy things. And Stefan, what did he buy? So I bought a, a nice oven for our cold houses in Dresden, which were fired up with coal. So this was really like luxury. <laughs> yeah, it was less money than that. So I could buy some bananas, I don't know, or some chocolate. <laughs> yeah. I also went to the National Gallery and then I drove home in the evening. So I drove home the same day. And um, that was it. East Germany and its culture may have disappeared overnight, but its mentality did not. For many young Aussies, the reunification felt more like an occupation, a sudden takeover of capitalism. The first time that I tried to buy yogurt in West Berlin, I couldn't. I'm used to that you buy yogurt with some fruit taste and without it. But now there were like seven meters of yogurt. That is so bizarrely wrong that there's seven meters of yogurt to choose from. I actually started crying. I just couldn't choose. You could feel there is no place for us. You could feel the, the money comes in and takes over. The wall came down in November 89. And... The big West German uh, generous government made it possible for all East Germans to uh, visit their family and friends in uh, West Germany for free. And I went to, uh, to Frankfurt, the city of the banks, even then was uh, full of banks. But right between the banks, you had the Pusher Park. It's where all the uh, drug uh, addicts were... Uh, laying down and uh, cooking the heroin and whatever else. And that was a shock. There were hundreds of them, hundreds of half-dead people, zombies, laying right between the richest banks of the world. You know, it's bizarre. It was an absolute shock. This was the system that had taken over. The Germanys hadn't been reunified. East Germany had been annexed, and capitalism moved in before the process was officially complete. The wall came down, and it's it's bizarre, you know, the, the whole country just got sold. It just got sold. All the East German institution gets closed down. Not a single West German one goes down. It's always the ones in East Germany that are closed down. The state, the Western, the, the new government got organized and got their shit together and started their oppression. And uh, 
I say it was oppression, so that's what I feel like starting organizing the way they wanted to. And uh, it, for us, it felt like oppressing. So our houses got evicted. We lost that fight as well. Sad, isn't it? When that's all that's left of your uh, past. I mean, sheesh. <laughs> Within a couple of years, all of Christian's friends left Berlin, and he also found out that he was required to serve in the German military. Things were not going well. We lost our houses. I got fired from my job. I got fired on a Friday afternoon, and um, on Sunday my girlfriend decided, you know what, I'm going to leave you behind. And I really uh, was sitting there saying, this is, this is ridiculous, my whole everything breaks apart. And I said, what the heck am I doing here? What is there for me to keep? What? Nothing. I said, all right, let's get the heck out of here before I go crazy. And I left and I went to the train station and I stepped onto the train and the train went to Amsterdam. And uh, that's the way how I arrived here. I didn't know what was going here. I didn't know anybody here, so... Suzanne and Stefan also left the newly reunified Germany. Perhaps the process had been too painful, and it was easier to see opportunities elsewhere. Ich mag das lange Haar, es ist nicht so dressiert und lässt sich besser zausen und zerraufen. But growing up in a socialist system has left its mark. Christian calls the society in which he now lives a dictatorship of the majority. Capitalism still feels like an occupation, although a cultural one, where money is king. And they all miss a society that had a deeper, less individual purpose. People were helping each other, and this was kind of really good to see, without getting paid, you know? That's kind of the difference, maybe. So this, sometimes I miss in this, in this Western system. I don't know how to describe it. Sometimes I feel sorry about my kids that they will not experience some certain kind of friendship or camaraderie. And also how it is to live in an environment where money is not the most important thing. Sometimes even it was not necessary. So many money was never an issue or a question. You know, now money is is what rules us, what directs us, what makes things go around. It's not it's not our social interaction anymore. It's the, how much cash you have in your pocket. You buy everything. For me, that is just weird. A socialist Germany had a right to exist. It actually, until the day of the day, I believe it actually has a right to exist as a country. Yes. After the Wall was produced by Annex C. The supervising producer was Lynn Gallagher. 
and the sound engineer was Kerry Dell. I'm Rebecca Huntley. This is the History Listen. Thanks for your company.